Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors here with 11 and 15. Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, best in new inventory. Great pre-owned inventory as well. A sales staff that works with you. Great trade-in value right now. Fabulous service department. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Our play-by-play call of the day. The Steelers trailing by one. The snap is down. The kick is on its way. Long enough. High enough. That kick is good. Boswell, an incredible night at Heinz Field, has put the Steelers on top with 26 seconds to go. A 65-yard field goal attempt to try to win the game with two seconds left. The snap is down. The kick is on its way. That kick is on its way, but it's not even close. It is no good. The game is over. The Steelers hold on. Goal line, crossbar, what's the difference? I'm sorry. How about Billy got it exactly right? It wasn't even close. It hit the goal line. It did not hit the crossbar. Yikes. All right. Well, let's talk about last night's game. With that, we bring in the sage of all sages, the seer of all seers. Neil Kulong, sir, welcome. It's great to be here as always. Coming off a, a late night, but it, it's it's always fun to be able to hop right on and talk to you guys about what happened. All right, so let's get to what happened. Obviously, the one of the one of the pivotal plays is the taunting call. What was your thought? Um, it, it, in all sincerity, and people are going to say that you know I, I'm making this up, but I, I tweeted something out about Cassius Marsh as he was doing it and there had to have been a full minute that went by before a flag was thrown maybe it wasn't exactly a full minute but you know on on the north side of of time with that that's how long he carried on with it i i said in august leading into the season that the alleged enforced emphasis on the taunting rule which is really an expansion of the taunting rule. It's not emphasizing a rule that you, you call anyway. Uh, they look for more things now. But it, I, I felt sincerely it was going to be a problem. It was going to create a, more of a sideshow uh, for the result of a game, more controversy, which the league doesn't really need, all to stop something that, that can be stopped just by calling what you're supposed to call. I don't know what else you can call what Cash Marsh did other than taunting. Um, I, I felt, and I, I'm aware of, you know, the, the, the you know, lack of popularity in the NFL's direction with this, but I felt it, what he did fit both the letter and the spirit of the rule. Um, if, if the officials are even remotely aware of who the players are, which, you know, if, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but they are. They know the league up and down. They know who the players are. They're fully aware that Cassius Marsh was a stealer in August and got cut. 
they will begrudge him the opportunity to to maybe you know kind of look at the sidelines with his shoulders tilted a little bit if he gets off the field after he does it. He didn't do that at all. I mean, it, it's amazing, amazing to me that people don't see it that way. Um, he took, I counted eight steps. I've heard seven. I've heard ten over toward the Steelers bench after a third down play. Both punting units were on the field along with Cassius March, who is not on the punt team. He was not celebrating anymore at that point. He was preening and he was drawing a, a, a unnecessary amount of attention to himself. Nobody is going to stop you know, the, the, the post-sack celebration. No one's asking for that. I know that T.J. Watt did it in kind of odd circumstances and it looked a little strange. Um, last couple of weeks, you know, the, the, the momentum of the sack that he got wasn't really all that big of a deal. and seems to celebrate it a bit too much. Whatever it is that Marsh did, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But you can't continue to kind of try to show up your former team by walking over to their sideline after a play. You need to get your butt off the field because, you know, the game needs to go on. Um, the fact that they flagged him is not even remotely surprising to me under the, the climate of rules that the NFL told every team, and it's been hotly discussed, um, when Marsh was with the team and when he was not with the team, it, he he needed to be fully aware of what the situation was. So uh, his efforts both on the sidelines to deflect the situation as if he didn't do anything wrong and his post-game comments regarding somehow the, the official attacked him, I, I think are, are completely out of line and not indicative of somebody uh, dealing with their mistake in, in a reasonable prof- professional manner. And it's unfortunate that it's the talking point of what should be a, a pretty fun game for Bears fans, a team that's not particularly good, saw their quarterback have one heck of a second half. He did. It was fun to watch. You saw a lot of great things coming from uh, his ability to get the ball down the field. And, yeah, I don't think that that, uh, a couple big calls went in their favor, but that's football. That happens. Um, If you would have asked me before the game that Cassius Marsh was going to make some type of mistake to impact uh, Chicago's chances to win the game, I would have laughed because I I wouldn't have imagined it'd be a close game if he was getting uh, uh, significant snaps. But – uh, that's what happened. Um, it, it's a weird year. I think for both teams, they're seeing some strange things, and that was just the latest for Pittsburgh. All right, so um, is is there a fine line in this at all and when it comes to sportsmanlike conduct versus taunting in your mind? For example, uh, T.J. Watt dances around like a nut. <laughs> now, I don't know. He's celebrating, and I think he's celebrating. So I don't think he's taunting. But you know, if you're the quarterback laying there, you don't feel you're not feeling great about watching it. <laughs> I, I think that's an excellent question. It was one I had a, a long conversation with a colleague about this morning. Um, the question really was, do you in, in that situation, if Marsh needs to be penalized, is it more of a delay of game issue or is it taunting? Because if it's taunting, you open up a lot of other things. I think that's fair. It's valid to explore. And this, at the same time, it, it's so NFL for them to emphasize a rule. I just I, I find that the funniest thing in the world. It's black and white. I don't, you know, you either call it or you don't. I don't understand the emphasis of the rule. Are you saying there are rules that you don't call because you just don't feel like emphasizing it that day? If, if that's what they want to do, 
if they want to drive down what they feel to be um, an excessive amount of taunting, it, it almost seems to me like you could just, you know, throw the same flag for delay of game because that would handle uh, sack celebrations if that's not what you're into. Um, doing it on basically on top of the quarterback or having to step on the quarterback to get out of the way so you can free up room so everyone can see you. All these things are very unsportsmanlike conduct. But here's the issue. Now, I'm not sure if you saw this on um, Thursday night or not. Jalen Ramsey got two taunting penalties. Yes. I think the first one was in the first, first quarter. Maybe the second one was in the third quarter. Yeah, they, they claim that the first one was only a personal foul penalty, the one on the sideline, and that yeah. the second one was taunting. That's why it wasn't thrown out. Okay. That, that's, that is in, in complete contrast to the truth. Uh, the official blatantly says unsportsmanlike conduct uh, taunting in the first penalty that he got. True. He got two of them. That's True. an ejection. Yes. Okay. Do you want to eject Jalen Ramsey on a primetime game? No. Sunday night. I said Thursday earlier. I apologize. It was a Sunday night game. You you don't want to do that. You don't want to lose your star power on a big stage for something like that. Yet at right. the same time, the NFL either didn't think of this ahead of time or they just don't care because taunting is unsportsmanlike. Two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties is an automatic ejection. Personal foul penalties, it's not. So in other words, right. Jalen Ramsey could have taken his elbow into the guy's head in both of those plays and not been thrown out of the game. Which one are you really emphasizing here? Why is taunting a part of the of the, the solution to keep players in the game? You weren't willing to enforce it on Jalen Ramsey for doing it, obviously, to a point where I, not to be a conspiracy theorist, and I don't want to create you know animosity <laughs> with what I'm saying, but there's no other explanation than New York called down to the official and told him the first one was a personal foul, not right. unsportsmanlike conduct. And he had to go announce that to the crowd. Yes, He's never he heard officials doing that. It's like a politician up on stage. I know. They're, they're rewriting the history as they go, and that is the reason why Jalen Ramsey was not ejected from the game. Right. So again, my question is, in all of this emphasis, did you not think that there might be a situation in which a guy is going to get two taunting penalties in a game? If you are emphasizing it even more, you should technically, by your, your own rule, throw them out. But now you're just not going to because you're going to pretend that it didn't happen. All right, if that's what we're going to do here, it, it just it, the whole thing just seems so needless to me. And I get what they're saying. Mike Tomlin is, is one of the first people to say it. They don't want a, a certain level of showmanship um, being directed at the opponent, at the, the opposing team, at the guy on the ground. I get that. I, I can see why they'd want to do that. But the problem that I have with the, the alleged emphasis of it all is they're going to widen the net, not enforce it more closely. Right. They're going to start calling more things. And really, to me, what it means is when in doubt, we're going to throw a flag because that's usually what the NFL does. That's going to create a problem. Now, I again, I honestly, I don't think what Cassius Marsh did uh, was ambiguous. I think that was pretty obvious. I think that's what taunting is in the NFL, and I don't think that you need it. I think it's silly. I think it, it, it's it, it was a coverage sack anyway. I don't think he needed. He could have celebrated, um, you know, done his thing waved at the Steelers, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't blame him for doing that. But he carried on for an extended period of time. I, I think that deserves a penalty. But 
the overarching issue in the league is just going to be um, this is going to cause more problems than it's going to bring benefits to the game. So the game itself, the NFL is not like college football. There aren't any style points. In fact, I heard two guys arguing uh, earlier in the week about Oregon and Washington, how Oregon had a touchdown late called back and then just decided to take a knee. And he said they should have gone for it again so they could get the style points because, well, the NFL isn't like that. The Steelers have won four in a row. What did you think of the performance? Uh, I Overall, I don't think they played very well. I, I think what mm-hmm. we're seeing is a team that is learning how to be good. And they're doing that in, in a way that we really have to almost evaluate play by play. Um, they're a young team. They're building something. I, again, I, I think five and three for them is fantastic. I think that's a great way for them to start. I, if they make the playoffs, they make the playoffs. I, I don't think they're going very far. I think it's going to be more of uh, conditions of their opponents down the stretch more than it's going to be them. But that's not a bad thing either. Um, what we know of the Steelers, <clears throat> they can put together – a drive or two. Um, they're starting to make bigger plays more consistently than they did. They're not going to be great in that regard, though. Um, they're getting solid play from one of the most limited passers in the NFL, and he's not turning the ball over, which is a huge help. It's mm-hmm. four games in a row now we have to turn the ball over. Right. Huge help for what they're trying to do. But we are going to see them uh, really, you know, deciding who they are on a, if not a series per series basis, then definitely a snap to snap basis because they, they completely fell apart in the second half. Their offensive line got bullied for pretty much the entire game. Um, they took a step back in that regard. Um, and I, I say that loosely because I'm not really sure we can measure their progress so closely right now as, as an offensive unit. They're still not at their best. Uh, Dan Moore. It is not a long-term solution for them uh, for this season. They don't. I don't. I can't imagine they want Dan Moore playing as much as he has. They really hope to get Zach Banner back. I'm not sure what the, the situation is there, but uh, they they need him back. Uh, they need to get Dan Moore off the field. He was he was really really bad on Monday. Um, if they can shore that group up, they can put some more consistency within their offense. But their their uh, their play calling is largely limited due to a lack of protection, mm-hmm. due to – if they can't really get after the opponent on the ground, which they did a couple times, and credit to Chicago, I thought their defense played well. They, they did a great job. Um, that team is a lot better than, than I think people have given them credit for. They're not a great team either, but they're not far off of Pittsburgh's level, if at all. I, I think they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one has, you know, the way it looks right now, kind of a different uh, uh, immediate future, having a you know a good young quarterback, which is what Justin Fields is. Um, but overall, I think what you're seeing um, between within the Steelers on, on offense, they're going to be inconsistent. They're going to be overpowered. Defensively, though, there are significant lapses of time in which they're they're incapable of stopping an opponent, and we saw that late. Uh, the fourth quarter was awful for the Steelers' defense. Mm-hmm. Arthur Mallette, um I, I was joking about this on a, on a podcast last night, but it isn't often that you see an NFL defensive back running straight behind or straight down the sideline chasing a player who has the ball outside of the numbers. Right. That means that guy got completely burned. Yes. Something something bad happened. Arthur Millette did that on two consecutive snaps. Yeah. 
something bad happened, and Steelers only paid for it on one of those plays. Um, overall, defensively, again, they're they're getting away with uh, Cam Hayward and his ability to wreck game plans up front. Uh, I thought Hayward played very well. We're not seeing great impact from their inside linebackers. Uh, that's been a, a consistent problem. You're getting some plays from their secondary overall, but like I said, something like what we saw at Arthur Maletu, um, they're, they're they need to retool that. That's going to be a problem. And frankly, really, it should have cost them the game. Um, if not for Cassius Marsh, if not for Chicago's own unique decisions on defense trying to stop Pittsburgh at, uh, on a final drive, uh, Pittsburgh really shouldn't win that game. So they're, I, I, I like the fact that they are building and they are learning, but it, it speaks to a lot of things that they are 5-3. and three. One of those things, though, is stuff that, that's not in their control and is not going to last the rest of the season. They are really kind of a, a three, four-game losing streak waiting to happen. And the fact that they're favored right now, I, I, I saw nine-and-a-half over Detroit. Mm-hmm. I'll take Detroit all day in that. Pittsburgh isn't ten points better than anybody in the NFL. I don't care who it is. Can I ask you about more for a second? We kept seeing the Bears line up offside. Now, it's their fault because you, you can look at the ball, all right? But I thought one of the reasons they lined up offside is because Moore, I thought, was lining up in the backfield because he was so far back. What did you think about his alignment and the fact that I thought it was a potential penalty that wasn't called? I think that has become... um, Let's let's go back to this. You remember uh, Peyton Manning in his Broncos days, kind of toward the end of his physical ability, you saw... Um, really Adam Gase's offense uh, along with Manning which is nothing but a a collection of small uh, pick setting and screens in an alleged legal fashion and that maybe to answer my own question from earlier that really is the penalty that doesn't get enforced in the NFL it's hard to do it the rule is ambiguous it can go a couple different ways but essentially you can't willingly set a pick and you can't that that kind of contact within two yards is going to be you know it, it looked at more uh, severely than other parts of the field. Today, I think the evolution of that has become uh, offensive linemen drifting further and further off the line. Yes, and if you look at it from a literal level, when the camera is is perfectly in line with the line of scrimmage, it, it the official sitting right there. It makes you wonder, like, why aren't you calling this? I don't understand. He's nowhere close to the line of scrimmage. This is not ambiguous. This is pretty clear as day. And to your point, um, I would say that, yes, we saw that a bit from Dan Moore. We absolutely saw it from the two Bears tackles. Yes, no who not doubt. Only were, who not only were like a yard and a half off the ball, they were leaving at before the ball was snapped right. on pretty much every pass play. Yep. Now, if you're Chicago and to a degree Pittsburgh, if you have bad tackles, you've got to find a way to help, you know, and that is becoming a, a simple solution that the league is allowing them uh, more and more leeway. It, you know, it, it, this is just me speaking. I haven't researched this or anything. Uh, watching a lot of football, tackles and in, in offensive lines are lining up more in like a, a, a um, uh, like a V pattern. Their, their tackles are further back than they have been in a long time. Yeah. And that helps you get into a pass set when you are a physically limited player the way Dan Moore is. 
So, yes, to that end, I can see why Robert Quinn was having a problem. And one of the ones they called him on, half of Quinn's body was over the line. Right, exactly. The ball. Yep. It was like, wow, that's really bad. Yeah. Um, it, I watched it again this morning, and it was like that a lot. It, it wasn't a rare situation. Now, usually the officials will call that early in a game to kind of set the tone that, like, hey, you need you need to watch this. I'm paying attention. Right. And they'll they'll play a little bit more evenly. But we're not seeing, except for Chooks Okorafor, who's been flagged on it twice right. this year, we're not seeing the offensive linemen uh, returning to even like a half yard off the line of scrimmage. Right. They're way off it. They look like flankers. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, what the thought is behind that or if, if there is kind of some growing animosity among uh, defenses in that regard. But for Dan Moore's sake, uh, for him to have the game that he did uh, playing that way, it, it just goes to show that he's, yeah. he's really overmatched and they're going to yeah. need to find something else. Yeah, because when Penn State played Indiana on the college side, Jack Cam and I felt the right tackle consistently was lining up in the backfield trying to get himself as far back as we could. So, I mean, it's something we've talked about before, but it, it not one time was, was brought up by anybody. Neil, always great to have you with us. Thanks so much for your time. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Neil Kulong. All right, final half hour in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Yeah, heard about Tony Carrente's hip check. And suit does the same thing. The problem is it's in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> just not as devastating when the guy goes to hip check you and it's like they're playing the theme to chariots of fire it's just like, <laughs> all right, um, get the lingerie on the deck call the janitor <laughs> today's show is brought to you by sunbury motors 4th street at sunbury sunbury motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 hummels wharf and online at sunburymotors.com Ford, Kia, Hyundai, the best in new inventory. Uh, great selection of pre-owned inventory. And believe me, trade-ins are high. You can get a lot for your deal. All right. And a sales staff that will work with you to make it happen. And a service department to back it all up. Difficult and, of course, routine. Hey, routine is just as important as difficult. You want to maintain your vehicle. They're a 
big reason why it happens. It's all at Sunbury Motors, full service, stem to stern. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street, and Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. College football playoff rankings, the latest snapshot comes out tonight. And, again, they're snapshots. I read nothing into it. It's just a week-by-week look at where they think everything falls into place. So tonight's snapshot comes out. I expect Georgia to be one. I expect Alabama to be two. Oregon to be three. Ohio State to be four. And Cincinnati to be five. That's that's how I think it'll play out. The of the top those top five teams, all but Georgia struggled last week. Had to fight to the finish to win games. I think again the we've seen it all season long. The semblance of parity. And to be honest with you, I did not know what to expect after last year. Last year was so different, so bizarre, no fans. And Penn State's playing Michigan this week. I've got a picture on my phone of sitting in Michigan Stadium with 111,000 empty seats. And they're playing, they're going to play a game that day. Now you have fans back. They're they're into it. They are making their voices heard. It sounds great. It's enthusiastic. It's loud. The emotion, everything that goes with it, the sense of normalcy in these stadiums is phenomenal. But I also think that we are seeing, I think maybe for the first time in a long time, a semblance of parity nationally. The only one that is bucking that trend right now is Georgia. But Georgia, to be honest with you, has not played a, quote, murderer's row schedule. They played Clemson early, and Clemson is good this year, but they are not great. Not even remotely close to great. I mean, Clemson is is good. I I don't even think I would classify Clemson as very good. They're good. And Alabama, of course, has already lost to Texas A&M. They had to fight to the finish against LSU. Ohio State has already lost to Oregon. They had to fight to the finish against Penn State. They had to fight to the finish against Nebraska. Oregon beat Ohio State but lost to Stanford and had to fight to the finish against Washington. And Washington is very limited offensively. Cincinnati had you know caught a huge break against Indiana when Micah uh, McFadden was tossed out of the game for targeting. That whole game turned there. Cincinnati season turned on a targeting call. Indiana is beating and actually, in some ways, dominating Cincinnati until the McFadden suspension. That was huge. That is huge. And then they go to Notre Dame and had a really terrific performance at a game I didn't think they would win. But since then, they struggle with Tulane. They struggle with Tulsa. Michigan, of course, lost to Michigan State on the road, came home. And to be honest with you, Indiana, the only reason Indiana 
didn't force Michigan to fight to the absolute finish in that game. The Indiana doesn't have any offense right now. They're down to their fourth quarterback, who's a true freshman. Michigan owned the game, but they scored two touchdowns and four field goals. Or actually, it was two touchdowns, what, five field goals, something like that, right? Against Indiana. They won 29 to 7. And Michigan State, of course, comes off that big win, a lot of juice, a lot of rah rah, the whole deal. And guess what? They lose to Purdue. And Purdue's got Ohio State this week. Penn State wins at Wisconsin. Wisconsin struggles. They lose Graham Mertz. Mertz doesn't play the second half against Michigan when it's a three-point game. Michigan wins with ease. Mertz is watching. Mertz comes back, and guess what? Wisconsin's winning again. Hmm. Wake Forest, undefeated, plays what turn up. For those who are looking at the standings, you're saying, why is Wake Forest losing to North Carolina, yet they're still undefeated in the ACC? Wake Forest and North Carolina were not scheduled to play in the conference this year. And, of course, Greensboro and Chapel Hill, in terms of proximity, relatively close. So they schedule it as a non-conference game. That's why you don't see it reflected in the ACC standings. But North Carolina beat them 58-53. I mean, the parity in college football brings with it, as Matt correctly pointed out earlier in the show, the strong argument why you need a 12-team playoff. No question, you need a 12-team playoff. They just need to straighten this thing out and move forward with it. And believe me, the ability within five years, if you want to really, really stretch it out, to go from 12 to 16, 12 to 16 doesn't change the dates. It just adds four more teams. It means the four teams with buys have to play that opening weekend. So the dates with 16 don't change. But 12 is very workable. It would then force a second network to get in there which would then bring with it more money because all these people that are, I mean, that's when I saw the Alliance is talking about eight. You know, yeah, the Big Ten thinks eight's a good idea. You know, who's pulling, they got to pull him aside and say, excuse me, if we go with eight, ESPN doesn't have to kick in another dime. They already have the Cotton Bowl, the Peach Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, and the Fiesta Bowl. They're already paying for them. Expanding to eight doesn't do anything at all to get you more money. They're already paying for it, so they would just pay the same number. You just would have eight teams. you got to attack this thing with common sense. That's why the 12 numbers, going to six does not get anybody in college football more money. Going to eight does not get anybody in college football more more money. 12 does. That's the added inventory that goes beyond the New Year's Six Bowl games. Which ESPN already has, is paying for under their contracts that run 12 years. Yeah, I mean, 
it's you sit back sometimes, and I know I'm trying. You try to do some of these things from thirty thousand feet, but believe me, some of these things are not thirty thousand feet. Some of these things just reek of common sense. Now, that doesn't mean that things haven't happened that I didn't expect. Did I expect more parity this year? Yes. Okay. But here's one thing coming out of the pandemic I did not expect. And remember, let's go back. Ooh, June. So let's go a year ago. So let's go back 16 months, Matt. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And Danny Manning was fired as the basketball coach at Wake Forest. And I was surprised by it because I said, geez, do you want to be paying? You, I mean, everybody lost eight figures. You want to be paying the buyout of Danny Manning plus hiring a new coach? Do you know how much dead money is being paid? Excuse me. You know how much dead money has been paid in the last 10 years? in intercollegiate athletics across the country. Take a guess, Matt. I'm going to say low millions. You aren't even close. Wow. $563 million in That's dead atrocious. Money. In dead money. This is, I mean, these are remaining contracts, Buyouts. I mean, nine coaches have been fired this year. Nine have been fired in season. And then there's Nebraska. They're going to retain Scott Frost for less money. And guess what? He fired his entire offensive staff. That happened this week. Which now makes it even less sense that the Big Ten and the Alliance don't want to go to 12 games for the money factor. <laughs> it's just, I mean, believe me, it's... That is embarrassingly amazing. <laughs> I mean, so, another, I'll tell you the, who the king of dead money is. You know who the king of dead money is, the, from what, how I understand it, is Charlie Weiss. Getting money from Notre Dame, getting money from Kansas, getting money from Florida. There you go. Yep. I mean, the person that did not want Charlie Weiss hired at Notre Dame was Mercy. She's always had a good feel for it. <laughs> that is true. The dead money is remarkable. So this is over 10 years, okay? So 10 years. $563 million in dead money. From January 1, 2010 to January 31, 2021. 75% of the dead money is being paid or has been paid over a period of time to college football coaches. 
Men's basketball, $116 million. Women's basketball, $15 million. Now, the problem, okay. So here we are. The payments vary by conference. The Southeastern Conference, Pac-12, Big Ten, paid a combined total of $371 million, far more than the Big 12 and the ACC. Non-Power 5 schools combined for $62.8 million in payouts. Auburn leads the way with $31.2 million in dead money. Nebraska, 25.8 million. Texas, 21.5 million. Dead money. Ole Miss, 20.4 million. And here's one that makes you fall down. Kansas. Kansas, 20 million. (laughs) That's Charlie Weiss. That's Les Miles. Okay. What a list that is. Okay. Will Muschamp. $6.3 $6.3 million to stop coaching at Florida in 2014. Okay. Pretty good, right? He's not done. He got an additional $12.9 million to stop coaching at South Carolina. Charlie Strong, $11.8 million to stop coaching at Texas and South Florida. I mean, this is remarkable. Todd Graham, $11.1 million to stop coaching at Arizona State. $563 million in dead money in 10 years. I guess it's 11 years. But for goodness sakes, even that, that's $55 million a year. $55 million a year over an 11-year period. You want to talk about crazy. And I thought that during the pandemic, after you lost eight figures apiece in Power 5, that you would, like, hold off doing this stuff. They haven't. 116 coaches received more than a million. Okay? Nebraska paid $1.4 million in debt money for women's basketball. Why didn't they just keep that individual on and just lose the money on the court? I mean, because women, everybody in women's basketball, um, you know, unfortunately, it's a fact, but it's unfortunate. Everybody loses money. Great sport. Love it. But it, it, it doesn't even remotely come close to supporting itself. $5.4 million dead money payouts to strength and conditioning coaches. $471 million in Power 5 money. The SEC leads the way. I know you're shocked with 123.2 million for football. 
25 million for basketball, 2.4 million women's basketball. Pac-12, 85.3 million for football and dead money, 24.9 million for basketball, 3.9 million for women's basketball. Big 10, 67.7 million in 11 years for football, 34 million for men's basketball, 5.1 million for women's basketball. Non-power 5, 47.4 million football, 12.8 million for men's basketball, 2.6 million in football, in uh, women's basketball. Big 12, 50 million football, 8 million for men's basketball, 0.8 million for uh, women's basketball. ACC, 28.7 million in dead money for football coaches, 11.2 million for ba- men's basketball coaches, 0.2 million, in other words, 200,000 for women's basketball coaches. Auburn's 131 million. Nebraska, 226 million. Texas, 21.5 is three. Ole Miss is 420.4. Kansas, 5, 20 million. Arizona State, 18.7 million is six. South Carolina, seventh, 18.6 million. Oregon is eighth, 16.5 million. Texas AM is ninth, 16.4 million. And UCLA is tenth, 15.5 million dollars. We'll give you the top 10 of coaches in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. I didn't know about it and, until after the game. I was not aware at all. Um, and then I saw the clip. Um, and obviously, the optics of it don't look great. But, but, I, but I, wa- I do want to say this he has been a model citizen and a model student athlete. Uh, he's a super impressive young man that's going to go on and do great things. Got a great mom and dad. Um, so, you know, just like in in his statement that he put out, um, I know the optics of it don't look great, but I, I don't think Fred had any intentions to do anything to hurt another player or anything like that. I think it was a reaction. The Big Ten did reach out to us and ask us what we were doing. Uh, we were going to suspend Fred for the first half of the game. That's on Fred Hansard, by the way. All right, um, which we covered earlier in the show. Will Muschamp, 19.2 million. Charlie Strong, 11.8. Todd Graham, 11.1. Kevin Sumlin, 10.8. This is all money just to go away. Gus Malzahn, 10.7. Bo Pelini, 10.5. Mark Helfrich, 9.5. Rich Rodriguez, 9.3. Jim Mora, 9.2 million. Thad Mata, 9 million. If you're wondering, they have a list of the top 50 schools on dead money. Penn State did not make the top 50. Okay? Rutgers. Rutgers is paying $15.4 million in dead money. Okay? They already owe the Big Ten tens of millions of dollars. They owe Maryland $13 million in dead money. They owe the conference money. Yikes. Not a good look.